our scripture this morning comes from 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. And that's 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Um, if you didn't bring a Bible with you, there's a Bible in the pew in front of you. You can turn to page 1208 in your pew Bible. Again, that's 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 1 through verse 7. And there it's written. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact, that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Here ends the reading of God's holy word. If you would please join me in prayer. O holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So we get a bit of a break from Peter and, and his passionate emotions that he has tied with false teachers, right? In chapter 2, Peter hammers false teachers, he hammers false preaching, and he hammers at them pretty hard um, where, we, where we can see again the passion that is built with inside Peter. If we remember, Peter's the one who was so passionate about Jesus that in the garden, as the Roman centurions are coming, he's the only one who draws his sword. He cuts off the ear of a Roman guard, and he's willing to fight them all, all by himself, right? Peter, Peter can get a bit passionate about things, and, and we felt that passion when he talks about false teachers and false preachers, and he gives us clues on how, how to identify them. And so now he takes a bit of a step back, takes a deep breath, and, and becomes gentler with us once again. He, he calls us, he reminds us that we're beloved, right? We're part of God's beloved. And he, and he says, this is my second letter to write you. I want to stir up your remembrance, stir up your remembering. And, and so what he then does is he goes forward and provides for us a brief lesson in apologetics. Now, apologetics is uh, the the uh, a part of theology which defends or proves the truth of Christian doctrines, right? So uh, apologetics, you're making an apology for, you're defending, you're standing for the truth, you're proving it to be correct. And, and so he gives us a, a few steps of, of what that kind of looks like for our lives. Because it is Peter, after all, in his first letter, who wrote in chapter 3, verse 15, 
that always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. See, Peter wants us to be able to defend our faith. He wants us to be able to articulate our faith. And not just know our faith in a head knowledge way, but to have it written on the walls of our hearts. So when scoffers, attackers, false teachers come towards us, we can go back to God's very word that he has written on our hearts and remember God's word and his truth. That we can then once again provide apologetics to ourselves first. Right? When others come and ask us for the hope, the reason for the hope that we have, or they scoff and mock our faith, they belittle us instead of beginning to have doubts in our own faith. Peter calls us to defend your faith. Defend your faith to yourself, right? Because the Bible is, is clear about these scoffers that are going to come. Uh, Proverbs, it, they're, they're written about in there in the 21st chapter. It's written, a scoffer is the name of the arrogant haughty man who acts with arrogant pride. It's who Peter warns of that these scoffers are going to come and mock your faith. They're going to mock aspects of your faith. And Peter says, right now, they're, they're mocking the belief of Jesus' return. Oh, look, all the, all the fathers are dead. Nothing's really changing. Can't believe you bought into the fact that Jesus was going to come again. Right? And, and, he's, and he says, they're going to come and scoff at you. And, and the Bible says a, a scoffer is someone with, with egotistical pride, that, that they're haughty about themselves. They think more about themselves than they think about God's word or, or the truth of God's word. But the Bible also says that when scoffers come to us, you can't reprove them because they just won't listen, right? That, that scoffers don't uh, fall in line with the, the reason of truth, that they'll just continue to rebuke you and scoff you or be made angry. And so Peter wants us to always be prepared to give an answer for the reason that we have hope, not just if someone asks us so that we can guide them to the truth of the gospel, so that in those very moments when we're being mocked, scoffed, and people are trying to raise doubts in our own faith, that we can then once again preach the gospel to ourselves, that we can be reminded ourselves of the truth found in Jesus Christ. Now, I recall one day a, a, a number of years ago, I'm sitting in a barber shop here in Neptune Beach, and, and I'm laying back, and I had a beard at the time, and I'm getting my beard trimmed with a, with a, with a straight blade, and the barbers are cracking up joking, and, and then comes the topic of church, and, and they don't know I'm a pastor. I'm, I'm fairly new in town still. I'm just laying back in the barber's chair. And, and the owner begins saying, well, you know, my wife got invited by one of her friends to go to church, and now she goes all the time, and now she's taking our kids. And he's complaining about it. And he, and he says, and you know what? You know what I say every time she invites me to church? And they all go, what do you say? And he, and he, he goes, well, I don't need your sky daddy to protect me from lava monsters. Scoffers. They're all around us. And as much as I wanted to pipe up in that moment, <laughs> I was reminded of two things. One, 
There is a straight razor <laughs> next to my neck. And two, the, the Bible tells us that there will be scoffers, and when you rebuke them or reprove them, they don't, it, they don't hold to the same truth that you hold to. They find the, the truth found in God and in Scripture to be silly and nonsensical. And so the scoffing is real that we face within this world. The dismissiveness of our beliefs and our faith is palpable within the culture around us. I mean, the very works of Satan are going on here. People are, are he's using some Christians or some nominal Christians to make fun of other Christians for their beliefs, to try and poke holes and doubts so that way the wide gate of destruction is filled with more people. And then he's just turning others into mockers and scoffers themselves. And Peter says, we'll face them. But how do we answer them? How do we answer their mocking and their scoffing? How do we defend our faith? Not necessarily to those that are mocking it, but to ourselves when they begin scoffing at us. Do we just write them off and say, oh, oh, well, they don't really know what they're talking about? Or do we begin to put that to bed, to kill that thought of doubt in our faith by reminding ourselves of the truth of Jesus Christ? See, Peter says, he goes, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. He doesn't say that we should go and spout this off to the scoffers, but that we should remember it. And he creates for us a braided three-strand cord. And an argument here that is woven so tightly together, it cannot be beaten. He, he says that if you're unsure of Jesus' return, which is the scoffing he's facing, he says it's objective truth. Jesus' second coming is, is a, a prediction of holy prophets. It's Jesus Christ's command himself. It comes from the apostles' public preaching. An argument against what Peter just lays out here for us and how we are to defend the faith would require a biblical argument in itself to dismantle. And you can't find a biblical argument to dismantle the second coming of Christ. Someone wants to mock you because you believe Jesus is going to return and he's going to return again soon as we sang earlier this morning. If, we, if you join in with Jesus as he says, when you drink from this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. When you're mocked in those situations, know this, that there is no biblical argument that can prove that untrue. Right? For God is faithful to his promises. All throughout scripture, we can see all of the other prophecies, all of the other promises that God has made and that Jesus has fulfilled and that Jesus made and Jesus has fulfilled. All of them come true and so will Jesus' return. So how is it then that these scoffers, these mockers, argue against faith? argue against Jesus's return. If they don't attack it biblically, how are they attacking and, and creating doubt? P 
Peter says this. He says, for they deliberately overlooked this fact, that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the word, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. Peter says that they deliberately overlooked this fact. That they intentionally turned themselves blind to the truth of God. Because if they knew the truth, if they held to the truth, then they would clearly see, Peter argues. Instead, what they do is they create and cultivate eyes of ignorance. They deliberately overlook it. Well, well, that's just what it says there in 2 Peter. It doesn't mean that it's true, right? Oh, that's just what it says in Isaiah. He only said that one time, so it can't be true, right? There's only, what, there's only six psalms about Jesus' second coming. Pfft, that's not enough to prove it true. Oh, Jesus said he's going to return. Well, you know, Jesus says a lot of things. Oh, oh, the angels said it after Jesus ascended that Jesus would return. None of this, they all turned a blind eye to, intentionally ignoring the facts of God's word and the data from history. In fact, what scoffers do to begin creeping in doubt, one of the first moves they have to make uh, to, to attack your faith and make you feel that, that your beliefs are silly and, and that you can't be taken seriously because you're a believer in Christ is they attack Scripture. And the attack is very simple. It says, well, you know, it wasn't actually written by God, right? There, there's like, I don't know, 50 different guys that wrote it, 50 plus different guys that wrote it. And, and they all had a different perspective, and they wrote it in a different time, in a different era. Some wrote in Hebrew, some wrote in Greek, and it's been translated a thousand different times. So there's plenty of mistakes within it. So you can't really trust it. And if you agree to that premise, then you become a boxer fighting on your heels up against the ropes. They have you now. Because if we don't rest on the scripture as our sole authority, as our ultimate authority, as our infallible, authoritative word of God, then we have nothing to stand on. This word of God, it, it, it was given to us by God. It, it says it's breathed out by God through men's hands and their pens, written for us. And it is a book that has survived throughout history, a book that, as being put together, has more original text and documents to it than any other manuscript of book in history. It's trustworthy. But we can't just believe or know that the Bible is the infallible, authoritative word of God. We have to live it. We have to be willing to submit the reason of the day, our emotions of the day, our feelings about what God has written in his word and submit to his word and take it seriously. See, if we don't believe what the Bible says is the truth and live it, the scoffers will pick us apart. And soon we'll be in line with them to the wide gate of destruction. 
For you see, the scoffers, Peter says, they deliberately overlook. They don't desire a true knowledge of God, but rather a God that makes them comfortable in who they are right now, and maybe even more comfortable in, in, in their sin that they really don't want to give up, right? Because they overlook in an effort to create a, a culture that is open to a plurality of interpretations and, and beliefs. Well, well, you know, I know that Peter said this, but you could also take it maybe this way. And you're like, no, 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 Peter was pretty clear like in six other places what he meant here in his second letter. And by creating a culture of a plurality of beliefs and interpretations, there's an attempt by legitimizing those beliefs. In doing so, it will dis diminish the truth of the gospel. Because if we say, well, your way could be true and that way could be true, and, and the Bible could also be true. If, if we make that admission as well, then we've already been knocked out. Because Jesus says it clearly that no one will come to the Father except through him. That there's one way for salvation, and it's through the shed blood of Christ. A belief in his resurrection and holding fast to him and looking to him for the rest of our days. You see, we see this happening today, the scoffers out there. Within Christianity, Peter says the, they're going to mock us, even within our own walls. That, that preachers and people alike will reject the doctrine of the second coming of Christ because they desire to live in a universe without moral accountability. Right? You go ahead and do you however you want to do it, and I'll mind my own business over here. You don't, you don't impose anything on me. I won't impose anything on you. Let's leave each other alone. And too often, the church buys in and teaches this destructive teaching. The academies and the seminaries are, are filled with it today, filled with this call to freedom, Right? Freedom of expression, a freedom to be all that you want to be and more. Just go and be as free of you as you can be. And then the same freedom that they preach is used systematically to tear apart the notion of divine revelation. And that because, you know, well, God is love, so he's, he's never going to correct or, or discipline because... Well, that wouldn't be loving, right? If God loves me, then he'll just accept me for who I am, right? Accept me just like this. And, and why would God require me to change, right? Seems outlandish. And, and it's why it's imperative for us to be able to give an account for the hope we have. It's imperative for us to hold to the authority of Scripture. And that scripture guides us. See, there's a world out there, and it's headed for destruction. And Satan and others are grabbing as many people as possible. 
Now, there's a great theologian out there named Johnny Cash. And he summarizes, I believe, best the second coming of Christ, as, as Peter would say in his song, The Man Comes Around. There's a man going around taking names. He decides who to free, who to blame. Everybody won't be treated all the same. There's a golden ladder reaching down. When the man comes to town, the hairs on your arms will stand up at the terror in each sip and each sup. Will you partake of that last offered cup or disappear into the potter's ground? Trumpets hear the piper. One hundred million angels singing. Multitudes are marching to a big kettle drum. Voices calling, voices crying. Some are born and some are dying. It's Alpha Omega kingdom come when the man comes around when the man comes around when the man comes around you know Johnny Cash lived most of his adult life as a scoffer of faith. His wife, June, very faithful, kept him together through a bunch of all of his sinful desires. And it's a miracle that a scoffer like Johnny Cash would be saved. And it's heartwarming and life-giving to hear him sing the truth of Scripture. Amen? Amen. This morning, as we stand and sing, if you would like to